Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Ruth chapter 2 and uh, verse 22 and 23, okay? So if you got that, Ruth 2, 22, 23, here they are. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens that they meet thee not in any other field. So she, this be Ruth, so she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of the barley harvest and of the wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. All right? Now, we know so far about Ruth that she has made a very serious vow, a very serious vow to the Lord, and the time has come now for Ruth to live up to her vow. I mean, what was her vow? It was back in the first chapter there, verse 16, where we read those famous words, entreat, Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And the most important thing she said was, and thy God, my God. That was a vow. That was a vow that Ruth made there when she said, thy God, my God. See, when Ruth made that vow, she became obligated to live up to that vow. And that was very important. When Ruth vowed that Naomi's God was going to be her God, she was saying that she was going to serve Naomi's God. And if Ruth was going to live up to that vow for Naomi's God to be her God, then she had to live a certain life, which is what we're going to talk about. And what we see in Ruth is what it really looks like for a person who vows that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be his God. She gives us the full picture. She gives us the three-dimensional look here. So in Ruth, we see that what it means to serve God with a certain life. Our vow that we have made that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be our God is a vow to serve him. Okay, now Ruth's call to serve God was a call for her to, to live a certain life with regard to the world, the call of service was a call to a life of separation. This was the separation. I just said the word separation. That's not a popular subject today. There's not many churches still standing by this message of separation from the world. The call to separation involves both a from and a to. The call of separation is a call to separate from the world, but the call of separation is a call to separate to God, from the world to God. No one can separate from the world unless they are going to God. And no one can come to God unless they are willing to separate from the world. 
And Ruth realized this, that when she came to the God of Israel, that she came to a new standard of separation from the world of immorality in Moab, which was opposed. So she came to this new standard, and she saw it's totally opposed to the old standard of Moab that she was raised in. Anyway, Ruth's new standard of separation, it had already separated her from her her Moabite sister-in-law, Orpah, who turned back. She turned back. Why did she turn back? Why did Orpah turn away from Naomi and back into perdition in Moab? Probably because Orpah counted the cost of keeping God's standard of a life of separation. See, Orpah and Ruth, they both saw that to live a life of separation would mean that they would have to be separated from their families. They would have to be separated from their old friends. Both of them saw that if they were going to serve Jehovah Jesus, it's going to mean a life of separation. And both Orpah and Ruth knew that the call to a life of separation was a call that would result in either a rise and stand for God or a drop and fall away from God. So hearing the call from the Jewish scriptures, which they had, the call of separation, Orpah, she dropped and fell away from God. But hearing the same call of the Jewish scriptures, Ruth rose and stood to come to God. And that's the way it is for you and I. You and I are either going to rise and fall to come to God, or we're going to drop and fall away from God. And it's not from what Tom Cantor says, but from the same Jewish scriptures that they had. Seeing this, seeing God's call to separation, it made a big impact Made an impact on my life as I've been sitting here studying about Orpah and how she dropped and fell away from separation from the world versus Ruth, who stood up and rose, stood up as we separate herself from the world to come to God. It's so relevant for us today because never before has the subject of separation been more relevant, been more opposed to the trend of Christian teaching and living than today. So that's what we want to see in these next two verses in Ruth here, in these verses, chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, is how Ruth met with and obeyed this call to a separated life. I mean, what does a separated life look like? Here's what it looks like. In these verses, we see that where it says, look at verse 21. Verse 21, it says, Ruth the Moabite has said, he said also unto me, thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. Now notice the next verse. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. See, in verse 21, Ruth had told Naomi that she'd been told by Boaz to keep fast by my young men. And evidently, Ruth had kept fast by, by Boaz's young men. But notice how in the next verse, in verse 22, Naomi says, no. Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens. See, Ruth, she was probably doing what Boaz had told her to do, which was to stay by the young men. But Naomi sees Ruth 
and she sees Ruth. She what she what she a young beautiful woman staying close by young men, and and with that, Naomi sees red lights, sirens, alarms going off, and <laughs> she said, "No," she said. Even if Boaz told you to stay close by those young men, I say no. It's good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens. See, Naomi was saying to Ruth, forget about it. You're not to stay close with those young men. I don't care if Boaz did tell you to stay close to those young men. I say to you, you stay away from those young men. They're trouble. And you go out with the maidens. Now, 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 now maybe Ruth you know, would say, but I like some of those young men. You know, they like me. They smile at me. They're nice to me. Boaz said I should stay close to them. I like the attention they give me. They don't look so bad. But Naomi would say, no. She said, remember that when I call you my daughter, that I love you, so I rebuke you. And I'm telling you that you should not stay close by the young men, but you should only go out with the maidens. And here was a big choice for Ruth. And we see that Ruth is really now caught in the middle. Because on the one hand, Boaz has told her, stay close by the young man. The young man probably seemed like her. She was a young woman. But on the other hand, Naomi had rebuked Ruth and told her, nothing doing. You stay separated from the young men. Now, this was a call for Ruth for a separation. And so what we have here is a beautiful picture that's so relevant to us because it's the crossroads of separation or no separation. It's also a beautiful and relevant picture for us of rebuke and the response to rebuke because that's what makes verse 23 so important, so wonderful because it shows that Ruth made a decision. And so it says in verse 23, so she kept fast by the maidens in Boaz to glean after the the barley harvest and the wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Hallelujah for Ruth. I, Ruth's decisions. This is Ruth's triumph. This is Ruth's reception of the rebuke. And it's seen in the words, so she kept fast by the maidens. I mean, Ruth had wonderfully, she received this rebuke from Naomi. She denied herself to obey Naomi. And, and the greatness of these words is seen in verse 24 when it says, so she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz. Now, when Naomi rebuked Ruth, it was with love. Because she started off her, her rebuke by, by calling Ruth my daughter. And this is exactly what Paul did when he rebuked the Corinthians. Oh, oh, please turn to it. It's a great separation passage. 2 Corinthians 6.11. 2 Corinthians 6.11. If you turn to that. Because here we have Paul rebuking the Corinthians in, in 2 Corinthians 6.11. And we gain a lot of principles out of this passage here in 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 18, where we read, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. You are not straightened at us, but you are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense of the same, I speak as unto my children. Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? My daughter, my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, 
I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. These words are the strongest personal plea that Paul has made to any of the churches. Paul's about to rebuke the Corinthians for something that's very, very heavy on his heart. It's really burdened Paul down. But before he does, Paul just bursts out with this opening of his heart to them when he says in verse 11, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. He says, our mouth is open unto you, which just means I'm holding back nothing. I'm letting it all come out. I'm going to say everything that is in my heart, I'm going to let it out. See, in Matthew, it says in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so Paul says why his mouth was open to them with this next statement. Our heart is enlarged. His heart was enlarged because of this great love that he had for the Corinthians. Naomi's heart was enlarged because of the great love that she had for Ruth. And this shows the importance here of rebuking in love. These two statements of an open mouth and an enlarged heart shows us the importance of how rebuke and love have got to go like this. They gotta go hand in hand. To rebuke without love is just cruel. To love without rebuking is just hatred. See, and Paul is showing how to rebuke and love when he says, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. And when Naomi rebuked Ruth to be separated from the men, when Paul rebuked the Corinthians to be separate from the world, it was both hard-hitting and heart-searching. And now is the time for each of us, if we read something like this, is to take a check on our heart. I mean, here's the check. Can we do that? Can we do what Paul did, love the sinners and make them feel that love? Or do we hate the sinners like Pastor Roger Jimenez at the Baptist Church, the Verity Baptist Church in Sacramento, who told his congregation, and it's all over the YouTube, it was good that the 50 homosexuals were killed. It's sad that they weren't all killed. And the, go- the government should line them all up and kill all the homosexuals. That's not exactly Paul's heart. You know, to have the heart of Paul is to rebuke over the sin of homosexuality, but to have an enlarged heart for the homosexuals and to love the homosexuals and to have compassion on the homosexuals and to pray for the recovery of the homosexuals. Now, Naomi, she could have taken the position of tolerance. She could have just said to Ruth, well, what does it matter if Ruth stays close by the young man, goes out with them? But that's not God's call to a separated life. See, a separated life means to toe the line, It means to live by God's standards. And a person can't be dedicated to God without being separated from the world. You can't do it. Separation requires discernment. It requires a discernment to be able to see what's good and what's evil. You know, this explains why so many Christians today are living non-separated lives from the world. They just don't see anything wrong with the world. It's like, what's wrong with that? It's a lack of discernment. If a Christian doesn't have discernment to discern the evil, 
that's in the world, then he's not going to separate himself from the world. I mean, so how do you get discernment? Okay, so let's say, okay, fine. I mean, I need discernment. How do you get discernment? Hebrews 5.12 tells us how. Hebrews 5.12. It says, for when the time, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the principles of the first oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. See, the Bible calls the word of God, it calls it the word of righteousness. And a person who is unskillful in the Bible is a person who only sees the first principles of the oracles of God, which is that Christ died for my sins, and he's still a baby. He's a baby Christian. But a person who is skillful in the word of God is a person who is a full age as a Christian, and he eats strong meat of the word of God, and this person, this person is able to apply the word of God into their lives, as it, as it says, who by reason of use, that's applying the word of God, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. See, gaining good senses to discern the evil that's in the world works like this. The more I saturate my life with the word of God and practice the word of God by the power of the indwelling spirit of God, the more my spiritual senses become exercised and I can see what I didn't see before. I can discern both good and evil saturation and practice, saturation and practice of the word of God. That leads a person to pray something like this. Oh God, I want a discernment. I want a discernment of mind to see the evil in the world. I want to be separate from the world because without saturation and practice, there's no discernment of the evil that's in the world. There's no separation from the evil in the world. Learning and memorizing the word of God, that's the first step of saturation. Awana is the first step of saturation, but then there's a second step of putting the word of God into practice in the life. And then comes the discernment of evil in the world and separation from the world. Okay, now, to meet the challenge of a life of separation means to obey the prohibitions of a life of separation. It's very clear in this passage there are two prohibitions in a Christian life. The first one's in verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And the second one is in verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So the Christian life of separation demands the refusal of all binding togethers uh, with, with those that are not Christians. Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. The illustration that God gives for this of the unequal yoke is from Deuteronomy 22.10, where it says, thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. In Ethiopia, all around our complex there are these fields that the Ethiopian plows. There's no tractors there. So they're all, it's all with, with ox plows. And there's lots of donkeys there too. There's lots of donkeys. They're used for the transportation. They call them gaudis. And Anyway, we have one, but I'm not going to get it. But anyway, there's a back seat there, and then there's a driver. Okay, so it's like a rickshaw, only it's pulled by a donkey. Now, if you put an ox and a donkey together on a yoke, you'd have absolute chaos. Nobody would ever do that. Even the Ethiopians know that. 
And so, because they prance differently, they have a different gait. There's no way you could keep them in step. And God's point is that the ox and the donkey are drastically distinct. They're different by their very nature. And it's, they're fundamentally incompatible. You can't put them together. They can never be brought to work together with each other. That's the way it is between a Christian and an unbeliever. They are fundamentally distinct. They're different by their nature from each other. And therefore, they're fundamentally incompatible with each other. And they can never be brought to work together. They can't work together with each other. So why should a Christian never be bound in any kind of permanent relationship with an unbeliever? Okay, why should a Christian not be bound? There's a question. Five reasons Paul gives. First, there is a standard to uphold. 2 Corinthians 6.14. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? We're talking about the standard of righteousness. What sharing is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Unrighteousness. There's a standard of morality for the Christian, and it's utterly different from the immorality in the world. And boy, don't we see that today. The standard of morality that Ruth saw in the scriptures was utterly different from the immorality of the Moabites that she came from. We, we only got to remember how her people, the Moabites, brought down the Israelites in Numbers 25, Numbers 25.1, where it says, and Israel abode in, in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. How'd that happen? Israel was led by Moab into whoredoms with the women of Moab. The moral standard in Moab was utterly incompatible with God's moral standard. And this is the first reason that there should be no lasting bond between a Christian and an unbeliever, because the Christian has a moral standard to uphold. The church has been ravished by what's called today a new morality, which reduces God's absolute standards, his absolute moral standards, to relative standards. The moral standards of God, they say, depends on the situation. Situational ethics. The situation determines what the standard is. And there, after all, there are certain situations in life in which I can adjust God's demands. God's standard is to abstain from fornication ordinarily. But if a situation is that a Christian is in love and then that God's demand to stay clean is watered down and, and changed because of the situation, God's standard is not to divorce. But if the situation is that a Christian thinks the situation at home is not tolerable, then God's demand to not divorce is watered down because of the situation. But this passage here in Corinthians makes it clear that to fail to uphold God's standards of morality is to depart from the way of separation. And young people, especially I want to talk to young people, heed God's prohibitions, rise and stand to uphold God's moral standards in your life. So first of all, we see that We must live a separated life because, number one, there is a standard to uphold. Now, goes on in 2 Corinthians 6.14 when it says, What fellowship has light with darkness? 
a true, true Christian is described in Colossians 1.13 as God who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The unbeliever is described in John 3.19, the unbeliever as men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But when Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, what fellowship has light with darkness? He's describing this truth here in John 3.19-20, that men love darkness. Unbelievers love darkness. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you believe God created the earth? Do you believe God created you in his image? Then come celebrate Museum Day at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, on Saturday, November 4th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Museum Day is a Christian family festival event with life-size dinosaurs, games, rides, contest prizes, fair food, vendor booths, petting zoos, live animal encounters, and super science experiments for kids, along with world-renowned speakers Tom Cantor, Eric Hoven, David Reeves, Russ Miller, Kevin Conover, Dr. John Baumgartner, and more. Free admission to the museum and all speaking engagements for you and your family and entire church family are free. The Creation and Earth History Museum is located off of Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue in Santee next to the Santee Drive-In. So bring your family and friends on Saturday, November 4th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. and strengthen your faith at Museum Day. For more information, call us at 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org, creationsd.org.